Hi everybody, I'm Jordan Ostroff with Legalese Marketing and this is Exhibit A Attorneys where we interview attorneys and experts around the country to talk about what it truly takes to be the Exhibit A of a successful attorney. Joining me today is a wonderful guest, Alexis Austin of the Wright Law Group. She's the CEO and managing partner a criminal of uh, the Wright Law Group, a criminal defense firm in Colorado Springs. Since opening in June of 2018, Ms. Austin's firm has experienced annual 70% increases or more in gross revenue, including during 2020 in the midst of a worldwide pandemic. I will add an economic recession, maybe worse for criminal defense than anything else, but uh, Wright Law Group has become one of the top criminal defense firms in Colorado Springs by specializing in enhancing the client's experience through leveraging technology and utilizing a team approach in representing clients. And I also want to add, um, she talked about how your firm specializes in representing people who are charged with criminal offenses, but who want to get back on the right path, hence the firm name Right Law Group. And I think that is just such an awesome, like, forget the niche of criminal defense, like the niche of people that want to get back on the right path. I think that's wonderful. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, before we get into your insight, we're going to be talking about intake and how intake plays into your marketing efforts, as well as helping your firm close. Uh, I want to give a shout out to our last episode. We did not have an episode on Thursday because I was alone under the weather. It was not COVID. Thank you. So our last episode was on January 25th, last Monday with Mike Whalen. Mike talked to us. Uh, I mean, Mike is always a good interview. We talked about do less, but better. And so it was really interesting as somebody who struggles with that as well myself. It's great <laughs> to have Mike there. But today we have Alexis. So welcome, welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Sorry, I always have to make sure I'm not staring too much at the screen and being weird and awkward. So. <laughs> no, not a problem. Um, stare away. And so what Tell us a little bit more about you. I mean, I know you, you, we had the bio, but like, who is Alexis Austin? <laughs> She's an enigma. Um, no, so <laughs> I opened my firm back in June 2018. Um, I actually was a prosecutor and I thought I would never leave prosecution, but I got into an office that had some political issues that I just, it was not about doing the right thing. It was about stats and that's not who I am as a lawyer. I do the right thing, no matter what the statistics say. So I was offered the chance to leave the criminal prosecution to join another law firm here in town as a partner. And they'd been established for 40 years. Um, and I, I had a rare opportunity to get into an established firm, see how they did it, how the traditional law firm worked. And then I developed my ideas about how I thought a firm could work better and more efficiently. Um, the firm that I was at, they weren't ready to make that leap. So what I did is I sold my portion of the firm after about a year to another friend of mine um, who had the, more of the right fit for them. And I opened our firm with both the 40 years experience that I'd gleaned from that previous firm and kind of being a little bit of a crazy person. I just want to jump off and try something new. I thought it could work. If other industries can do things this way, why not law? So I tried to focus on making our firm much more technologically forward, utilizing automations as much as possible. Zapier is my favorite tool in the whole wide world um, and seeing how much we can really bring our firm into the 21st century saying, okay, this is how everybody else is working with chat bots and all of these other automatic processes. Can law also do that? So you and I have like the same origin story. Yeah, um, we do. 
other than I did not work for some, I wasn't smart enough to work for somebody else to really learn remotely what it's like running your own <laughs> firm. Um, but no, that definitely spoke to me. And I'm sure that speaks to hundreds of other people that think they're going to be lifelong prosecutors until you aren't. Well, and I think that's, you mentioned the branding. I think that's a major component of why I branded the way I did. Number one, I didn't want to name it after me because I want to build something that I can sell later on if I want to. I also think it's much easier to have a team approach when it's a brand name rather than a law office name, because I don't want to be that person. People are always saying, oh, I want to talk to Ms. Austin. That would annoy the crap out of me. So, but I think the branding for trying to find people who want to get back on the right path, get back on track, that's really important to our firm because we're not looking to do, work with clients necessarily. I mean, we do have some, but we're not working with clients who are repeat offenders over and over just trying to get out of it. We're looking for people who have made a mistake, but they're good people at heart and they're trying to get focused back in on getting back on track and making sure that this doesn't define their life. And from the other, well, actually, let me phrase it this way. What idiot would name their law firm after themselves? I just don't know how dumb <laughs> you would have to be to do that. For example, Jordan Law FL, where Jordan hasn't practiced for like three years. So yes, you are totally 100% correct. That is exactly what happens. Um, and so for anybody, unless you're in, I think Texas, you have to use your name. But if you have the opportunity not to, um, if yeah. you're not going to be the day-to-day -day lawyer grinding in the trenches, please, please, please use a different name. Um, well, and I think it's a vanity thing too, because when I went to my other firm, I demanded that everything be renamed to be my first or my last name first. And it was a slew of three names. Austin was the first one. And I just felt so good until I realized it doesn't matter. Clients don't care what your firm is called, but they do care if they have the name of the partner and they can't reach them. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And then I always love the but I don't practice law, but you're the name on the firm. I'm like, right, but like the attorneys here have been attorneys longer <laughs> than me. They're smarter than me. They're still up on the law. They follow these things. Like you don't actually want, really want to speak to me. So you are uh, much smarter and wiser than I am. I <laughs> so I want to talk, we're going to talk about intake here. And so I love this from the standpoint of, I think so many firms skip intake, but ultimately intake is how you turn potential clients into money to keep your firm going. And I would think that like, that's a huge key component, but most people kind of skip over it. So walk me through a little bit of like, how did you realize that intake became something that was important? Um, so it's been an, it's been an evolution. I credited a lot of what we've done to different mentors that I've had. You've been one of them, um, talking to different people about how they do different, <laughs> how they do different processes. Um, and then truly what I've been trying to do is I look to other industries. So I look to the people that I respect in our industry, which there are few and far between because not a lot of lawyers are able to jump outside of the law and work as business owners. But then I look at other industries. I look at the tech industry. I look at the service industry, see how they're doing it. Um, I actually have a good friend here in town who is a, a dentist and we compare notes on how his dental practice is working with um, how our law practice is operating. So what we do is we have made it so that the lawyers are completely removed from the intake process. Um, I think this is a recurring thing that we're hearing in other groups as well, but it's, it's been absolutely crucial to our success because you see this kind of bell-shaped curve um, when you're talking with someone who is brand new to doing criminal defense or the law in general. It seems that they are able to bring in more clients statistically than someone who's more seasoned and experienced. 
And what you notice is the more experienced people tend to just drone on and on and on to the client talking about all of their accolades, all of the things they can do to help the case and the clients kind of glaze over. What clients truly want to hear, and I think this is everyone, it's just a sales technique, but it's a truth of life, is clients and just people want to hear, number one, you made the right choice calling this firm. Number two, this is a problem we can help you with. And number three, we can get started on it right away. That's it, that's all they care about. Especially criminal clients who statistically have a little less ability to impulse control <laughs> or to control their impulses. They want an answer fast. They want to know that this is the answer. And then they want to know that you're taking care of it and they can move on to the more important things in their life. So hold on. I want to jump in for a second. Sure. Uh, so first, uh, our, a good friend of ours, Stephen Hamilton jumps in. Texas is currently on an election to decide if they will allow uh, practice trade names. Also, for those of you that don't know, I bet on the Florida Oklahoma game with Stephen and totally lost that one by a lot. So I hope he's enjoying the barbecue uh, sauces and rubs that I sent from that traditional Florida barbecue. Uh, nice. But that being said, so, all right, I want to go back to those three things that you just mentioned, because that is so key. Like that is the most important thing that we are talking about. That is the entire mindset. So your three things that a client wants to know is you made the right call contacting us. The second one was... This is a case that we can help you with. And we can get started now. Yes. And I think that those three sentences like need to be written on the wall in front of your intake person's head or like on top of their computer or whoever it is. They're you written into our call. script on our forms right now. So we have it written in. We have forms that I have everyone do because we want uniformity. It's the McDonald's model. Everything right. needs to be the same. And it's written right there in very big green letters. The branding is everywhere. You made the right choice calling right law group. And this is certainly a case we can help you with. And if you just go through these few steps with us, we'll get started right away every single time. That is so strong. And it's so, it's simple, but it's not. But it's simple, but it's not. And so right. I love that. So I want to back up for a second before we get into the success that you've had with this. So I, you're talking about the ability of that new attorney to generate more business because they're not talking about themselves so much. So walk me through a little bit, like when, when do you, does that start to change for the worst, I guess, in this case? So I've noticed this both in my practice and seeing other attorneys and then looking at different um, statistical analysis that are done on sales in general. It's kind of the expert curve. There's this idea, and I cannot remember what study it was that I was looking at. This was two or three years ago, but um, there's a study that shows that the more expert you become, the more you have a decline in your salesmanship and your ability to sales. Cause it's, it's that idea of beginner's luck, but it's not actually beginner's luck. It's that a beginner is just as enthusiastic about the process as the potential client calling in. They're talking about them and they don't have all the answers, but sharing in that journey together, I think is what converts sales. So saying, you know, we can help you with this, not giving specifics, doing broad generalities. That's what's really important in the sales process. Once an attorney gets to the point where they're just saying, okay, this is the same case I've seen 500 times before. They're not as engaged with the potential new client as they should be. They're just rattling off the stats that they know, telling them, well, this is what we normally do. Clients don't wanna hear that they have a normal case because they are an individual unique person. They want to be treated as an individual unique person. One of the core values that we have is we don't treat people as a case file. We see you as an individual human being because, I mean, people are people, but, 
when you get into the business and you've been doing this for long enough, you do start to see charges and files and that's just how your brain works. So that's why we don't even allow attorneys to do intakes anymore because we don't want that to happen. We have non-legally trained salespeople doing our intakes. And right now we have three intake people um, and two of them are stay-at-home moms um, and all three of them are re-entering the workforce after an extended period because we're able to offer them virtual work. And we put them through sales training, not legal training. So they go through the process of assessing a client's needs, making sure they feel heard. And that is what gets the clients in through the door past that little checkpoint of, do you have money to retain us on to becoming a client? Our clients don't meet their attorney that's assigned to them until one to two weeks after signing up with our firm, which is unusual for a criminal defense practice. It's not as unusual maybe for a personal injury practice, but. All right, so I want to, I want to back up for a second there. When it comes to the efforts that you are taking to drive these leads to the firm, do you make any changes or tweaks to those efforts because they're going to not talk to an attorney first and they're going to end up not having you be the one to hire the case or handle the case? Um, I, I did, but I don't know that I did it intentionally. It's just kind of been the metamorphosis of the firm. Um, as we grew, so we've grown this time last year, we had two people. Now we have nine full-time staff. Um, so we've grown very, very quickly and I had to just make tweaks as we went because it's not all about myself and my paralegal, it's our team effort. So we've changed the branding message on our website, on our Facebook, on our Instagram, and then in our ads. We always say you have a free consultation. We just don't specify that it's with an attorney. It just says free consultation. Um, and we're never trying to hide the ball for clients. We're not trying to say free consultation and make them think it's an attorney shockingly, or maybe not, most clients don't ask if they're talking to an attorney. They just hear someone answering their questions and saying, yes, we can help you. And that's all they care about. So I, th yes, we did change it. But if you start the groundwork for doing a team approach, I don't think that it's much of a change at all. And when a client directly asks, we have training for our salespeople on how to overcome objections, specifically the objection of how do I get past the, oh, I have to talk to an attorney right now. And the response is, well, our attorneys are doing really high level work for our clients right now. You're going to be talking to me anyway. Let me see what I can help you out with. And I will get you an answer immediately. Um, and then we explain to the clients, you want the attorneys doing work because they're working on our current clients cases right now. But when you're a current client, you want them working on your case, not answering everybody's calls that come in. So we haven't had I mean, much, if any, pushback on that. Once people understand that everyone has authority to work on the case, everyone can be helpful and they have three different levels that they can go through before they get to the attorney. So, and obviously I think the clients that, or the potential clients that don't understand that probably aren't a good fit for the firm. So it's like an interesting way to weed out people that are going to be a problem regardless. Right, right. And we were working on that a little bit more. There's always, I like to hire, so we have our salespeople, it's three women right now. Um, and our ladies want to help people. That's that's what drives them. And that's why we hire them. But it, it's a little bit of a learning curve for them because I always let them do one or two what I call mistakes in sales. So I'll let them adjust our sales process. I'll let them um, offer different payment plans than we normally would as a training lesson. And I know it's going to stink for me <laughs> because it's going to be a difficult client. But I feel like unless they see it directly happening, they're not going to understand so I started off trying to say, no, we don't take these certain things because these are red flags, but it didn't ever click. Once I finally let my client success coordinator do two of those cases and bring them into the firm and have to deal with them calling and texting 12 times a day, 
then they realize, oh, that's the red flag that Alexis was talking about. I'm not going to do it again. And so now she's on board with the systems. But you have to allow for a little bit of that trial and error just so that they have the same buy-in that you do. But yes, once you find what your actual avatar is for your PNC, it's pretty it's pretty cut and dry. You know if they're going to fit or not. And if they do, they get onboarded and we rock and roll. And so it's interesting because you talk about making those changes unintentionally before that, but I think that is huge. It always boggles my mind when you have these, you know, large scale firms that have that pyramid and like up at the top is, you know, the name partner, the face of the firm who's doing zero legal work, but all the ads are like, you know, so-and-so got me blank and so-and-so is the best attorney and so-and-so got my case dismissed. And then that's not the person who's remotely going to handle their case. And so I know like we will push a lot of our um, client reviews that feature other people's names, like, especially if it's staff, you know, not right. Members. I think it's so cool to see like, well, here's other clients in a similar boat to you that had a great experience with this non-lawyer. And you're talking about these, you know, moms who enjoy helping. And I think that's what a lot of people want when they call a law office is they want that maternal instinct that, you know, you've been able to weaponize probably isn't the right word, but you've been able to <laughs> utilize. Use, yeah. Utilize right. like, in the exact right moment. Like somebody's calling you with the worst 15 minutes of their life. Something right. happened, they got arrested, they're looking for an attorney, you know, they're stressed out. And I think, you know, you're, what you said is so true. You get these lawyers who are like, I've done this before, it'll be okay. Whereas from you all, you know, you get like the, uh, you get the mom who's like, I'll take care of you. You're in good. Right. And that's, it's so fascinating because we have a couple of those law firms here in town that it's the high law partner on everything. And we have gotten clients that have left those law firms for us saying we never got to talk to that person. And while I talk to, so our client success coordinator's name is Bree, they say, well, I talk to Bree all the time and I know she's not the lawyer, but she gets me the answers and that's all I care about. So we are trying to make it very much a team. And I think one of the things, I can't remember, I was listening to either a podcast or a book I was reading recently, but they were talking about that McDonald's structure where um, maybe it was Mike McCallowitz. He would go in and ask for the manager of McDonald's or the owner of that McDonald's franchise and no one could tell them who it was because the manager isn't the important person. It's the team dynamic that makes sense for McDonald's to work. That's what we're really trying to do. And I'm not saying we are McDonald's. I want us to be much classier, but it's that idea of the team is re really makes this firm work. It's not just one person. And I tell everybody in my firm, the difference between this firm and the firm I left, the firm I left was a family firm, which is a great construct. It's just not the one I wanted because you can't fire family. You can't get rid of family. You can't train family. You have to just forgive them and forgive them and forgive them, which is great for family. But our law firm is not a family. We are a team. It's just like you can be traded to another team. I can trade you out for someone better if you're not willing to pull your weight. But everyone understands that team mentality and they understand that you have to work together to accomplish this goal. And we're finding that if we hire the right people to complement each other, the team works very, very smoothly. And so it's interesting, you know, you talked about McDonald's because as much as being in the South, you know, Chick-fil-A is like our go-to oh, yeah. food. But like McDonald's was the first one to really have that system to standardize the same hamburger across counties, across states, across, you know, the country. Right. And it, it's crazy to see how many businesses still don't have any sort of a system to get the same consistency going in the work. And as a lawyer, that could end with somebody being in prison for the rest of their life. Right. So I wanna talk about this, you know, during this initial consultation, during this intake process, 
what are like the two or three biggest tips or things that you've learned the most or things that have driven the most success for your team? I would say the two biggest things are you have to have an exact way to do it every time. And I don't mean, so I used to try to do um, like a procedure manual and a, a script. I have made it so that there is no possible way for them to deviate from my system. Because if you have a script, people can still go off script or, or do things different ways. But I have made, so I use Formstack um, and I create these forms with all of this coding on the back end to say, okay, if this happens in this, if this happens in this, I think you use Lawmatics in the same way. What you do is you make these forms rigid. So you have to have this information entered the exact same way every time so that all of the information goes through correctly and smoothly. And two, um, I think one of the biggest things, aside from just having them do sales training, which is obviously the most important part, but the other thing is there is no deviation. There's no difference in price. I cannot tell you how many criminal defense lawyers that I know say that they, they price a case based on their gut or they price it based on the difficulty of the client, which I understand to a certain extent. There are, I would say the 15 to 20% of clients that you just wanna charge a, a PITA <laughs> case. Like you wanna charge them that. But my philosophy is, is if you do the same case pricing across the board, it'll even out. You're gonna get really, really easy clients who are wonderful to work with. And then you're gonna get the, the pains who you don't wanna work with as much, who are very needy, but it evens out in the amount of work. So what we have is we have set prices based on the charges. There is no way that anyone can deviate from them. The price is the price. And we don't say fees because fees have a ne negative connotation and they sound like they could be waived. If you go to a doctor, there's a set price for medical treatment. If you come to a law firm, there's a set price for what this type of charge is worth and what it takes for us to work on that case. That is, to quote our, uh, our other shared friend, Larry Weinstein, that is a writer downer. Don't call them fees. Call right. Them because I'm totally with you. Like every, everybody hates those hidden fees. And then you can always like talk your way out of uh, like in a Fargo, you know, the, the undercarriage fee or whatever, where he's just asking about the football game. Right. Price. It is true. Um, now, do you have, you mentioned sales training a couple of times. And I think this is the hardest thing because like, even when I have talked to sales trainers, they're like, well, it's not, you know, it's not necessarily for professionals. It's not necessarily for B2C it's not necessarily for the quickness of it. So like, do you have a specific sales training that you want to plug or are there just certain things you look for in the sales training that you make sure your team goes through? So I've done a couple of different sales trainings myself. Um, eventually what I want to do is have in-house training, but I just don't have the time right now to do that. So I started off using Billy Tarasio's training, um, going through how to do a proper consult and the different theories behind that. But that's directed more towards attorneys as salespeople in the consultations and more towards family law. So I've since started working with Kristen David uh, with Uplevel Your Business. She's my business coach. And she has another package um, that her sales trainer, Theophon, does. And it's just a package that I bought. Um, I can't remember the exact price, but um, I think it's like three grand or something. That's just this online course that you go through. And you can add in your different members and they can just go through, check off the course, make sure that they take all these modules, learn it all. And then I discuss it with the staff. So our onboarding process takes about a week for them to get through all the training because they go through the sales training first that Theophon is pre-recorded. Then they sit down with someone who's actually in the job. And right now with COVID, what we're doing is we're just having them watch via Zoom, watch what the client success coordinator is doing, listen to how she's acting. 
Um, actually, one of them would have to do that anyway because we hired someone in Vegas. She's not even in the state, but she's going to be perfect for this role. Um, so they just sit, they watch, they they retain as much as they can. They take notes, they ask questions in our Slack channels. And then starting this week, so I just onboarded two last week. Starting this week, we're going to do some one-on-one -on -one trainings where we do role-playing. And I think the combination of the sales training and the role-playing is really, really helpful. Another thing that we do, which some people may or may not agree with, but we record our calls only for our purposes. So Colorado is a one-party recording state, so it's allowable, but we're not using it in any way other than for our training purposes within our firm. We don't ever use it, even in our case management, really. We're only using it for our success of our client success coordinators, and they can go in and listen to other calls to see how to overcome objections, see what common questions are, and then go through. Um, we have a list of commonly asked questions, too, that they can add to if anything comes up. So the combination of those things are how we get people feeling really comfortable with this role. And then how often are you, you know, you've got those recordings or you've got the role plays. How are you going back to people and like reassessing what they're doing? Are you walking them through another process? Like how frequently does that happen? So I just started hiring non-attorneys to do this back in October. So that's a great oh, question. Yeah. I don't have that yet. Um, what I do tend to do is I have a, a call platform where I can listen in on calls. So they know that at any point in time, I might be hopping in on their call and listening in. Um, they'll not, they won't necessarily know I'm there listening. Um, so I check in on them on that. I ask them if they have a particularly difficult call or a particularly good call to let everyone know so we can all go in and learn and listen from it. And then we do monthly trainings um, just to keep, but it's, it's firm trainings, but it's to keep top of mind kind of what we're doing. So like our last firm wide training was this past Friday. We do it at the last of the month. Um, and we went over our branding and how important it is that everyone in the firm gets on board with our branding and is speaking in the same way that our brand is conveying um, information to people. So we do those types of trainings um, and we're working on, we actually tomorrow, my uh, office manager and I are sitting down to get our plan for quarterly reviews of each department that we have and how we're tracking that. All right, so I wanna get into that transition from their initial consult into how that person stays in touch with them. But before that, are there any other tips, tricks, or things you want to talk about for that, like during that consultation? Can I do a shameless plug? Yes. Go for okay. It. So I am creating a platform to sell this to other law firms, specifically criminal defense law firms. So I found that this is what we do best is the intake. We've been able to, we set our goals and they are goals that are the big, hairy, audacious goals. We're setting these big goals and we're hitting them and exceeding them using this process. So what I'm doing is I'm working with a developer friend of mine and we're actually building a platform that can be customizable by the criminal defense firm that buys it, but they can use this and just plug it right in. It links up with everything via Zapier and they can start rocking and rolling on that. So that's my next goal. My big thing that I wanna do is share this information with as many people as I can. Um, the biggest thing I think and I know everybody says this, but it's have systems. You have to have them documented. You have to have everybody doing the same thing. Because as I tell all of my team, if one of you gets hit by a bus, God forbid, I want to be able to plug someone else right back in there to make sure that our clients are being taken care of. Not that you're disposable, but that our clients never have any kind of skip in um, their experience or in what they're used to receiving. Yeah, I think um, I think it was Ryan McKean who said it. Knowledge has no value in your brain or something like that to the rest of the firm. Yeah. And he was talking about, you know, Tetra and systems and whatever it was along those lines, but it is, 
it is so true. And, you know, God forbid it's the bus thing, but people get sick, kids get sick, family members get sick, they got to stay home. And the last thing that you want from the person, you know, the caregiver from the employee standpoint, you don't want, you know, 100 people or 100 calls over the day. Hey, where's the so and so file? What's going on with this? Hey, we had an emergency on blah, blah, blah. You know, if you have the system, it's a lot easier for all of your players to actually take time off. Right. All right. So now you're talking about, you've got these clients um, who love Brie, who, who are talking to her. She's staying in touch with them. She's getting in the answers. So walk me through the client's journey from that initial consultation through to hiring and then with the firm continuing on. So the basic process is just from the, the staffing perspective, we have two different components in our sales team. Um, and it's more, we call it the client relations team because they're going to be there throughout. So we have two client relations specialists. These are the two women that are reaching out, talking with the clients regularly, updating, uh, we have three, updating them about court dates, letting them know what's happening in their case, scheduling things. And then we have Bree, who is our client success coordinator. She is our intake person. So when the phones are answered, basically that's a receptionist level job. Any one of the three ladies who are on the phones gets the call, they take a message. If they can, they pass it immediately over to Brie if it's a potential new client. So we'll go through, let's say a potential new client calls for a DUI. They get on the phone, Nanette answers the phone. She figures out kind of what's going on with them. She fills out the phone form that we have. That automatically zaps over the information to our Slack channel, seeing if Brie is available to take the intake. Bree then says, yes, I'm available. So Nanette transfers that over using our phone system directly. We try not to let potential new clients off the phone at all. We want to keep them on until we've got them retained. So she transfers her over to Bree. Bree goes through all the questions that we have for the consultation, and she quotes a price right there. She knows our process. She can tell them exactly what's going to happen. She tells the client, okay, if you want to hire us, it's this much. If you want to do a payment plan, we can only do half down. And then only three months after that, it's an automatic withdrawal from your bank account, yada, yada. If they say that they want to retain, she says, great. She clicks one button and an invoice automatically sends out to that person to retain. Once they pay the invoice and um, another automated uh, retainer agreement goes out to them automatically to their email. So they could literally hire us within five minutes of calling our firm if they wanted to. We then tell them, once you hire us on the case, just know we're going to be entering on the case. We're going to start requesting discovery. And then we're going to set you up with a strategy session with your lawyer. So they're still not talking to the lawyer. We tell them that it normally takes us two weeks to get discovery, police reports, and all of that in. So we'll be letting you know how things are going via text or phone calls. But then we're going to schedule that strategy session in about two weeks. So then Brie or one of our client relations people reaches out, schedules that strategy session. And that's the first time that they meet with their lawyer. But by then the lawyer has been able to talk to all of the people in the sales department, knowing what this person's about, read through all of the notes that we have on our CRM, which is pipe drive and hopefully has the discovery so that that way the lawyer seems even smarter than they normally would because they not only know the law, but they know the specifics of this client's case. Yeah. It's always interesting because you, it's that balancing test, right? I mean, it's the, what's going to happen. And like, you're staring at a one page police report or, you know, or you're missing 75 pages of medical records. And it's like, you know, how do you balance what the opportunities are while still having that conversation have value? And so I love that you guys have just put a, a break between the staff and the attorneys for those two weeks. So the attorney comes in like a rock star. 
And, you know, it's really, I don't know if you can do this with other areas, but with criminal defense, it's very cut and dry. I mean, there are a certain number of cases that we can take, a certain number of charges that exist. We don't take higher level. We don't take homicides. We don't take sex assaults. So we've got a range of cases that have very predictable outcomes, anywhere from traffic, DUI, domestic violence cases, all the way up to about a, a class so we have uh, felonies ranging from class six to class one, class one being homicide. So we take them about to class three. So anywhere in there, we have pretty solid predictability. So what we have is we also utilize text expander, which is just a fantastic tool. And you can literally just type in a little snippet that we've created and it'll auto populate the charges and show the, the client relations person what that person is facing. So they can tell them, I mean, generally speaking, it's not giving legal advice, it's just knowing how to research something. Um, but that way the client knows what's going on, what they can expect, and they've been prepared. The other thing that we do is we absolutely do not make clients promises. My biggest pet peeve with other lawyers is they say, oh yeah, I can get you out of that. And that's absolute crap. You have no idea what's gonna happen in the case. Your client may or may not be lying to you. They may not even know they're lying to you. They just might not know what's going on. So our motto is we do not make you a promise as a client unless we can absolutely guarantee it. And very rarely can we guarantee it. On a first time DUI where the BAC is lower, we'll say most likely we can keep you out of jail, but we're never gonna guarantee or make promises because that that erodes our ability to have you trust us as a client. Makes perfect sense. So during, so once they have this meeting with the attorney, I mean, is your client success still in contact with the client? So, so our client success coordinator is our intake person. Her job is actually transitioning now. She's doing our intakes and onboarding people, but then she's going to be actively helping me with marketing in the, in the meantime. So her role is really lead development and nurturing leads. Our okay. client relations people, they do keep in contact. So we have a very robust Slack channel. Um, we just have lots and lots of channels in Slack. If, if people aren't familiar, Slack is a communication tool. It's basically texting on your computer or phone. Um, and so we're all talking, our team of nine people is talking to each other all the time, even though we're all remote for the most part. So what we'll do is if we have an update for a client, um, say I'm the lawyer on the case and I have an update for a client, I'll just slack Caitlin and say, hey, Caitlin, can you tell the client this? So I'm not having to take time out of my day to go find the phone number, call them and all of that. Um, we also utilize texting quite a bit. So we text our clients because most people these days don't answer their phone anyway. So we'll text them information, make sure that they know it. Um, and then we have different touch points where every two weeks, our legal assistant is supposed to be touching the case, making sure nothing's happened to it. Um, nothing has been filed that we're not aware of. And then before court dates, our client relations people call and text the clients two weeks before to say, hey, do you wanna to talk to the lawyer before court? That way we're always staying in communication and making sure that they feel wanted and that their cases are actually being worked on. So how, I mean, are the lawyers as interchangeable as it sounds or the case assigned to this attorney, even if the client hasn't spoken to them yet? <laughs> yes and no. So okay. my lawyers are paid based on the cases that they are assigned. So they all make salary, but then they are bonused based on the cases for which they are responsible. So in that regard, it's not as easy to interchange them out. What we try to do is we try to have an even split among the lawyers. We only have two right now. We have a third coming in in a week or two. Um, so right now it's pretty easy because I just decide what I want to take and then give all the rest of the associate attorney that I have. Um, but when we have our newer associate coming in, we're just going to be splitting them up. 
we track what kinds of cases we're getting in. So we track them for traffic, misdemeanor, DUI, and felony, and then we divide them equally. So it's really just luck of the draw, whatever comes in, whoever's up on rotation, they get it. So for that purpose, there is one assigned attorney because even though we go through the team approach, just branding and talking with the clients, people still want to make sure they know who their attorney is. Because when you show up in court and another attorney's there, it really unnerves some clients. They understand the team concept, but they want to know there is one touch point there. It's like the quarterback. You can have all these people on the team, but you got to know who your quarterback is. So we try to keep the same attorney on each case um, throughout the the case timeline just to make sure they have that continuity. But the team approach is they've got three different staff members answering their calls and texts. They've got a legal assistant and two paralegals. All of they, all of those team members work on the case for the client. See, I just love how you've gotten this whole system to fit together. Cause like, I always hate the bait and switch, you know, like you talk to this attorney and the next thing you know, like you said, show up to court, it's totally different one. But in your system, you don't have the bait and switch because obviously they're talking to not an attorney at the beginning who's keeping in touch with them. And then also it goes back to what you said at the beginning where like, because it's not an attorney, they don't get to be like, I'm super experienced. You have to have me. I'm a smart ass or whatever. So that's great. That's fantastic. Well, and the goal is I would love to get to the point where we have a very, very robust staff and a few attorneys because number one, attorneys are expensive. So if I can pay three client relations people to make phone calls and hold hands with the clients and only have to pay one attorney, that works out for me from a business perspective. But for the attorneys, it's also much more lucrative because their bonus based on the percentage of retained money that they earn. So if they can handle more cases by having more staff help them, they're just going to make much more money using that model as well. So I really think that, I mean, ultimately what we're looking to do is grow to the point where we have 20 or so staff members and only three to five attorneys. That way the attorneys can make money as they should because they went to law school. They deserve to make a very good income and the clients deserve to have a really good experience, even though their attorney has 150, 200 cases on their docket. Well, and that's the thing is like, it's not just, it's, it's like the, you know, like you have that maternal instinct. It's the mindset. It's the experience that the person has. It's those like genuine traits of humanity that sometimes don't make for a good attorney, but they do make for really good staff. And so from the right. client perspective, like you can really get the best of both worlds with a very caring person internally from a staff standpoint with like a sort of a-hole attorney that's going to kick the prosecutor's butt, you know, right. be the best of both worlds. And we actually have a couple clients right now who don't particularly love their assigned attorney, but they love our staff. And so we, the staff tells them, Hey, this attorney is going to get this job done. I know you may not agree with what they they say or the way that they say it maybe, but they're going to get it done. And ultimately we end up with happy clients. I will say too, one of the things that I've noticed that a lot of people give pushback on is they say, well, that sounds great. I would love to have that model, but I don't have the money to do it. Our firm is not a multi-million dollar firm. We haven't hit the million dollar mark yet. It's slated for this year, but you don't have to pay people a lot of money to do this. You have to give them a reason to work and incentives outside of compensation. So with our client success coordinator, she has bonuses linked to the number of successful onboards so that she's motivated to bring people on. But our other girls don't have that. They are paid minimum wage to answer the phones. But the trade-off is I give them full health insurance, medical, dental, vision. I give them life insurance policies and they get to work from home. So literally both, both of our two client success coordinators, they have three kids at home. 
so they can sit at home in their yoga pants with their coffee, not have to worry about getting all fancy, which is a real concern for some ladies. And they still get paid. They make sure that they're doing something that is a job well done, but they're in the comfort of their own home. So it's very possible to do it. You don't have to be flush with cash to get this kind of system in place. Well, and also it's opportunity cost. You know, like how much more money can you make not being tied to chasing down 100 leads, but having somebody else do it so that you can big picture the firm better, create better systems, go to lunch more, do marketing, you know, whatever it is along those lines. Right. It's, just, it's a very interesting concept that I think people look at cost and sacrifice opportunity cost for a lot right. of reasons. All right. So with that, I'm going to give you a, a couple more questions, but I want to make sure as we get towards the end here, our next episode is going to be this Thursday, 1.30 Eastern time. We're going to be talking to Ryan Locke, who if you have not had the opportunity, I highly suggest it. He's a um, sort of the next step of Alexis and I, a reformed criminal defense attorney who now does mostly appellate work. Um, He's also famous now. He, that's true. That's true. He was <laughs> uh, interviewed by the New York Times. Yes. <laughs> Journal, something like that. Um, and, and he just, he's funny. Like I just, I like yes. the guy. and so if you think I'm, if you think I'm funny, you'll definitely like Ryan. If you don't think I'm funny, he's probably funnier than me. So <laughs> we've got that going here. Um, all right. So the way that we end these shows, uh, I'm going to end it the same way for you that we do for everybody else. What is, if somebody takes nothing away from this, the last 45 minutes, nothing. What is that one biggest piece of advice you want to give that, you know, struggling firm owner who wants to become the exhibit A of a successful attorney? What do they need to know? Your law degree doesn't mean as much as you think it does, which is a really cutting, hurtful thing, but it just doesn't. Lawyers can handle cases. We all can handle cases. You don't have to be especially smart. What you need is sales. You need to have a sales mentality. You need to have a sales system. You're never going to be lucrative and successful unless you focus on sales rather than law. And it's also kind of liberating though, right? Like you're not, for me, I was, I felt like I was burdened by the weight of a law degree. And then once I realized exactly what you said, excuse me, I was like, oh, I'm taller. You know, I'm still not tall, but I'm taller right. than I was with <laughs> that extra weight. Oh man. Yeah. All right. So um, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Should they need your services, want to send you stuff in Colorado Springs or to eventually buy your wonderful platform so that they too can have an amazing intake system? I'm going to be I'm going to be reaching out to see if people want to beta test the platform, um, hopefully around Q2. So the best way to reach me is either email me or Facebook message me. Um, I'm Alexis Austin on Facebook. Our firm is Right Law Group. Um, and we've changed it to be Right Law Group Criminal Defense on Facebook so we can be easily identified. You can also email me at alexis at rightlawgroup.com. That's R-I-G-H-T lawgroup.com. Um, yeah, I, there's there's no way to not reach us. We are accessible day and night. You can even text our firm and you'll get one of our client success coordinators responding. And there'll be a wonderful lady with three kids answering the phone in her yoga pants to greet you. Right. <laughs> exactly. Love it. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. It was really fun. Good. I'm glad. Thank you for listening to this episode of Exhibit A Attorneys. If you're interested in becoming the Exhibit A of a successful attorney, please check us out at LegalEaseMarketing.com. E-A-S-E.